Uh, take your Bible, if you would. We're going to jump into the final week in the series that we are better uh, together. Uh, take your Bible and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 9 through 12, so you can turn there. For some of you, well, for it would probably take a while to find where that is if you have your Bible uh, that you're looking through. It's not necessarily uh, uh, scripture that you read a lot, so I'll give you a little time. As you turn there, we we'll just let you know that next week we start a new series in the book of Job. Uh, Job obviously had a lot of issues, a lot of problems, and he gives us, I think, some great insight into how to work through those ourselves because we have issues ourselves sometimes and experience loss ourselves and depression and some of the things. And so uh, he's going to provide some great insight for us to deal with our own. As you turn there, uh, LinkedIn uh, a little while back did a survey and asked people what their greatest fears were. Now, there's a lot of ways you might answer that. How many people would put spiders? Greatest fears. Okay, spiders. Uh, what about snakes? Greatest fear. Maybe public speaking. Anybody want to go get up here and we'll swap places today? Some of you, that would absolutely terrify you to get up in front of people. But listen to what, as opposed to some of those fears, that was not what in this LinkedIn survey, that's not what people said. Instead, Anne said this. Anne said, my greatest fear is that I will die alone. Dan said, my greatest fear is losing my social structure. Sarah said, being alone and without friends or family. And Steve said, my deepest fear is being left out, abandoned, ignored. A little different than I would have imagined as I think about what my greatest fears or what people's greatest fears might be. As we think about the ways that they answer that question, it reminds us of something that is just so prevalent in our culture, and that's this isolation that we experience exasperated by COVID. I mean, we knew we had some issues. Researchers had identified what had been called, uh, even before COVID, a loneliness epidemic, even prior to COVID, again, made worse by COVID. Listen to some stats. The percentage of Americans who say they have no close friends at all has quadrupled since 1990. 54% uh, of, of Americans report sometimes or always feeling no one knows them well. And up to 40% of Americans say they have no close friends or confidants. But it's not really just us, Americans, our culture that has an issue across the pond. Uh, the British have also recognized that there's an issue, and they introduced a loneliness minister to help combat the issue. And they actually did that a year prior to COVID. And last year in Japan... They added a cabinet-level post into their government to help alleviate, with the, with the task of helping to alleviate social isolation. Harvard researcher Robert Putnam warns of our stock of social capita, capital, and he defines social capital and the, his warning about its fall. He says this, social capita, capital, the very fabric of our connections with each other has plummeted, impoverishing our lives and communities. So, in addition to the, the other stock market, there is, there is stock that's falling, and he says the social stock is falling. He goes on to write in a book called Bowling Alone, The Collapse and Revival of American Community. He says this, people are 
socially dis- who are socially dis- disconnected are between two to five times more likely to die from all causes compared with individuals with close ties or close connections, in other words, with people. According to the research, people who have bad habits like smoking or eating poorly or alcohol abuse but have strong social ties live significantly longer than people who had healthy habits but were isolated. And in what has been looked at as really the most thorough research in this area is the Almeda County study, and it was led by a group of social scientists from Harvard, and they studied 9,000 or 7,000 people over nine years, and this were their conclusions. They found that the most isolated people were three times more likely to die than those with strong relational connections, which caused John Ortberg to write, it's better to eat Twinkies with friends than eat broccoli alone. Now, if you just needed a little truth to to leave here with, if you learn nothing else, that's a great thing. I've helped you out. Uh, It's better to eat Twinkies with friends than broccoli alone. (laughs) And even when we are in proximity even to people. We can be in a group like uh, if you're here, on, here today in this room. We can, we can be around people but still feel isolated, even in a crowd. David Brooks, New York Times columnist, said, Our society suffers from a crisis of connection, a crisis of solidarity. We live in a culture of hyper-individualism. I've talked a little bit about that over the last few weeks. The only way out, he writes, is to rebalance, to build a culture that steers people toward relation, community, and commitment. The things that we most deeply yearn for yet we undermine with our hyper-individualistic way of life. And Solomon, King Solomon, wise King Solomon, millennia before the New York Times or Harvard researchers said anything about it on this subject, he would write in helping us today think about, in a very practical way, the ills of isolation and the benefit of community as we always want to move from the land of talk and not just, just, not just talk about we've got a problem, but to really think about what can we do about it. Solomon helps us. And so here we are. We find ourselves, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9, he writes, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. He starts in verse 9 in this little section that we're going to look at today. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. Now, that's a pretty simple concept that two are better than one. We get that, uh, whether it's two scoops of ice cream versus one or two days off versus one. We know, we understand that two are better than one, right? Uh, I heard, and maybe some of you have heard it illustrated this way, this idea, two are better than one, uh, using draft horses. Draft horses are bred for moving, pulling heavy objects, massive beasts of burden. And so, Uh, It's been said, I was reading this week, that one draft horse can pull like 8,000 pounds. 
Now, if you take two draft horse, horses and you hook them to the same weight, just it's simple math, you might think, well, if one can pull 8,000 pounds, then together those two can pull 16,000 pounds. You just double it because there's two of them. But actually, if you, and some of you, well, we got some engineers, we got a lot of engineers, I know, and uh, some of you could actually put it up on the board and show us why those two draft horses pulling that same weight together, how they can move not 16,000 pounds together, not 18,000 pounds or 20,000 pounds, but upwards of 24, three times as much together as one can pull alone. And how did, how did, how did, how did Solomon say it? Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. And I love the idea that our creator God has baked into the physical laws that govern our universe this idea that two are better than one. That together we can do things and, and things can be moved when you do it in tandem with another. So the basic idea is one plus one can equal, in some cases, three. It's an idea called synergy. That the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Literally, two like Solomon said, are better than one. Two can accomplish more than one. And the really fun way that around here at First Church, we see this lived out, we see the reality of it, is we have a campus here at St. Joe, and we have a campus in Stevensville, and we have a campus in Benton Heights, and those of you who are joining us online and by radio, and together, we're not one plus one plus one equaling three, but together, when we pull the same way and have a vision together and we're going the same way, we're not one plus one plus one equaling being able to do three of whatever, we're a five or a six or a ten because we are greater than the sum of our parts. We are better together. Together we can do things that we could never accomplish alone. The power of synergy, the whole greater than the sum of the parts. So what uh, Solomon is, is helping us to see is that there are benefits to community. Last year, after living in our little ranch house for 15 years, Crystal, she's always got something. And so she tells me, well, we need to rip out that hedge. We had one of those old school hedges, you know, you know, it's like just, it's like one massive, looks like one massive plant, but it's actually multiple plants that have grown together to create a huge, mongous hedge. And it's been growing for 50 or 60 years. And Crystal says, well, we need to take that out. And, and so to, to put her off, I'm like, well, what are you going to put in, that's pl in its place? And so that lasted two or three years probably. And then finally, she came up with a very specific plan of what we're going to do if we take the hedge out. And so uh, I had to take the hedge out. And so uh, we're working together. And we're, we're cutting the, the tops out and we had gotten rid of the tops. And so left the, a piece of the root so that we could, you know, wrap a chain or a strap around it and pull what was left out. We've got a little RAV4 and so I'll be able to pull it out. And so uh, one by one, I would dig around them and I would cut the roots and, and she, she was working me like a rented mule out in the front yard, okay? You get what I'm saying? And so we're, we're having some success. We're hooking them up to the, to the pulling these stumps out one by one. And then we got to the last one. And the last one, for whatever reason, was always bigger than the other ones. 
it always grew faster and higher, and it was just the roots were bigger. And so dug around it and cut every root that I could find and all that, hooked it up to the, the RAV4, and I pull it, and it does not move. I thought, I tried and tried and tried. I thought I was going to rip the back end out of the car, trying to, that little RAV4, trying to get it out of there. Well, it just so happened that uh, the key family, uh, Christy is our, the chair of our board. I don't know if they're here today. It's hard to see. Uh, and so they came over for something. And so they show up uh, and there was Christy, but then uh, her husband, Steve and Zach was there. And so they, I think, felt sorry for me because they come back about 30 minutes later and they've got, I've got a little RAV4, if you know what that looks like. They come with a truck. Four-wheel drive, like a fa old farm truck, you know, kind of a truck. And so we wrap that bad boy up, that route. And so he gets in the truck and, and, and he takes off and it doesn't go anywhere. And so we dig a little more and we reposition the strap and he gets in with that, okay, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna make it happen this time. And so he just floors it and, 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 and finally it makes this cracking noise and pops and comes out. Come to find out, there was a root as big as my thigh that went straight down from directly underneath that root ball. We, I never, because we, we had cut the other root, we never would have found it. I, we, that would still be there, uh, that, that root ball, if they had not come to help us. They, uh, Zach, I don't know if you know Zach, and I, it's hard to see everybody, so I don't know if Zach, if they're here. To, are you guys here? All right, so Zach's not with us today, right? Okay. Zach, if you don't know what Zach, who Zach is, Zach's one of those boys that go bear hunting with a loose leaf notebook. <laughs> okay, he's a big old boy. And so they're like, well, we want us to help you put, get rid of these, these, uh, these root balls. I'm like, oh, no, it's okay. And I thought, you know, because we always, we say that to be polite. When you're thinking, yes, I would like your help. Uh, it, well, it turns out they didn't take that for now. And so they, we, they did help us. And, you know, I'm, you know, two of us are grabbing one. And then Zach's just like manhandling. And the other, he's just throwing them in the back of the truck. So we got rid of it. Absolutely. Chris and I, two plus those two. And we were able to do so much more. It would have taken us the rest of the day. And we may still be working on it together. Because what does Solomon say? Because two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their toil. And it's not just like the Harvard researchers and the New York Times authors and all of that. It's not just what they say about the health benefits of community, that we are better together. All of that extensive research of the physical stuff, you know, taking, you know, hedges out and the, and the benefits of that. So it's physical or health, but there's also spiritual benefits to community. God designed us to need one another. We are better together. We can accomplish more together. Jesus didn't come to this earth and model for us doing it all alone. What did he do, even though he could have done it all? But he comes and he gets this group together around him that we call the disciples. And he invested in them and he poured into them. And together he sent them out. And together they changed the world because we're better together. And so when we think about community, we think about the model that Jesus gave us. What did he pray in John 17 when, when he was about to be taken back? He was being crucified and going to go back eventually to the Father. He prayed in John 17 that they, his disciples, that we would be one. Because when we are one, 
Together we can change the world because we are better together. Verse 10, it says, For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Last week, I showed you a picture of just a wonderful trip that some of us were able to take together to the Holy Land, and I showed you a picture from that trip. When we got there, one of the first places that we went, we were at this archaeological dig place, and so um, where they dug up. And so everywhere you walk in the Holy Land, it's uneven, and there's rocks, and it's nothing is just flat or whatever. And so you, you always have to, I mean, you can just imagine what Solomon is, is saying, this land that inspired what he's writing when he says, for if they fall, one will lift him up. But woe to the one who falls and has no one to lift him up. One of the first places we went when we got there, uh, one of the people in our group was walking down this little area, and they fell, and they tumbled down this pretty steep area. And immediately, because there's a little group of us, immediately we had multiple doctors that were, that were with us. And so immediately that person was cared for, and immediately they were, they were gathered around, and they were taken back to the bus. Think about if she had fallen and she was there alone. And you can see literally what, I have that visually in my mind, literally what Solomon is saying, what a blessing it is when someone falls that there's someone there to help them up. He goes on to write, and again, the, in this land that would have inspired him, thinking about probably the way that, that they would travel by foot in between urban centers. And there wasn't, you know, there weren't... Uh, Motel Sixes or Holiday Inn Express or whatever on every corner. And so you would, in between, you'd have to stay out in the elements. And if you were alone and it was cold, and it can get cold in, uh, in Israel. And he says, you know, if you have someone there, together you can keep warm. In other words, he's communicating that together when there are people around you that there are safeguards, whether it's you falling in your, and you have someone or you're cold and you have someone to keep you warm. There are safeguards with community. Community pro provides an environment where can, we can be lifted up, where we can be kept warm so that when we fall, when we struggle, there are any number of examples, obviously, that we see here that Solomon gives, but there's any number of examples that we have as a church that how we are better together, how we can provide safeguards for one another. One of the really fun things, I don't know if you're even aware of, some of you, that we have a parish nurse here at First Church. And the nurse works both for us, the church, and the hospital. And so she can be, uh, Angie Young said, she can be this liaison. So somebody has surgery, they don't have to come home uh, alone or, or look at the doctor's orders. If they're alone, they, there's somebody that can be this go-between that can talk to the doctor and talk to them and help them understand how to take care of themselves or to go to an appointment together or interpret, you know, the, the in-between, all the things that no one has to be here at First Church because you're a part of this community. No one has to be alone. There's a safeguard, even physically. I'd never been a part of a church that had a parish nurse. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. I think of the people through the years when I've been going through a tough time, ministry colleagues that have called just to check in. How you doing? How can I pray for you? I got one buddy that regularly calls me. 
And so we, we need that when we're, when we're struggling or whatever. Or think of the person who falls into sin and there's someone that, they, that, that they're close enough to people that, that they can see that something's amiss and they can hold them accountable or they can ask or they can have a conversation. It's like, even though it's painful at first, like when Nathan, was conf- or Nathan confronted David who had sinned with Bathsheba, bringing him back, helping him see. James 5, 19 through 20 says, My brothers, if any among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. There's a safeguard that happens in community. And the fall doesn't have to necessarily be in sin. The, the fall, different, falls come in different shapes and sizes. We can fall into a time of depression or fall into a time of anxiety or fall into a time of, of loneliness or any number of things because life is tough. But when we have one another, when we have, again, people in our lives that we've opened our lives up to and we've been real with, they can pick us up when we need it. And God... Can, can use them to help us j- at just the right time with just the right word or maybe even just their presence. I, we're, I mentioned that we're going to be looking at Job and the story of Job and Job's friends when he lost everything. If you look in chapter 1 and you see the struggle that Job had, all of that, the difficulties in that first part of the book of, of Job and his friends did a lot of things wrong and offered a lot of bad advice later on. But one of the great things they do right out of the chute there in chapter 2, is that when he lost everything, it says that they showed up. They showed up and they showed, Scripture says, they showed mercy. They showed sympathy to him. In verse 23, or verse 13 of chapter 2, after it says that they came and they spent seven days, and it says they didn't speak a word, so they were just there. And it says they were there, for they saw that his suffering was very great. There are safeguards to community. Solomon reminds us of that. And then one final thing in verse 12. And though a man, he says, might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. And so again, Solomon's great at giving us these pictures. That the person that's alone. Think of the New Testament story that Jesus told of the Good Samaritan. When the guy is, is along the road and the robbers come because he's, he's there by himself, and they attack him and steal his stuff, and they leave him from dead into the ditch. Now, what does Solomon say? Now, if there, he'd had a friend there with him, maybe two might could have withstood that attack. And he says a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Three together is even stronger. Community, in other words, Solomon is teaching us, has the power to cultivate success. Maybe together they could have been successful. Maybe together they could have fought off the attackers. Again, I know that we've got a range of in-house engineers here with us today. And we could ask you to show us, if we had a whiteboard up here, there are any numbers of, a number of you that could get up, and you could show us the, the, the physics equation when you take some string or whatever and you would hold a weight, that one string, whatever the weight of that one string could hold. And if you take another string and you would, you would, you would tie it to that, to a, you know, weight, you know, they perceivably could hold twice as much weight. But then there's something that happens. Again, God created this world. 
And there's something that Solomon is referring to when he talks about a threefold cord. When you wrap those strings, those, you take three and you wrap them together and you create a cord. There's something. Again, you physics people could help us. You engineers could help us understand how it exactly works. But what we know is that those cords together, they transfer some of the weight as they squeeze and they press upon each other. That load is transferred and you can hold even more than any of the three strands by themselves without being wrapped together, without being in that, that relationship with one another like a cord is. They can hold so much more. They're so much stronger. So if you're going over a suspension bridge like the great mighty Mackinac, and you look over, you don't want to see the strands that are holding the cords that are the steel cords that are holding those, the, that bridge up. That you don't want to see single strands of steel. You want to see them woven together in a cord because it's so much stronger. And that's what Solomon is saying. One can be overcome, but two or three woven together. And again, it's a reminder of the dangers, again, of isolation. Again, before the New York Times and, and Harvard and all of those told us about it, we understand from the writing of Solomon that it's a problem. But the community together has the power to cultivate success. I love our staff. I love our church council, how we can work together. All these different backgrounds and strengths and personalities and perspectives. But when we have the same Lord and we have the same vision and we're thinking about something similar and we're brainstorming how to fix that or do that or go there or whatever, accomplish those things together, when we are bound together with Christ in the center, that we are better together, that it's a recipe for success. What we're able to do together as opposed to what we were able, would be able to accomplish alone. And that's us. God's idea was the church, that we would do it together. In this vast array, as we think about across our multiple campuses, this vast array of people with connections and expertise and experiences and talents and financial capacity across multiple campuses, working together, being able to do far more greater than the sum just of its parts. We're able to do so much more. So let's conclude the last few minutes. Because what do we want to do? We, always want to, we talk about this. We don't want to just talk about the problem, but we want to talk about how we move from the land of talk to the land of do. How can we put some things into place to combat loneliness and find and experience a community that Solomon talks about that's going to be a blessing in our lives? So let me give you some practical steps as we conclude today. The first thing in the way of practical steps. And by the way, we're going to use our social media and we'll throw some of these out this week and you can comment and we can have some fun with that. So just look on our social media this week and we'll, we'll talk through or we'll put out some of these practical steps. And so the first one I throw out to us would be, first step would be to invite God into the process. I know that there are some of you today that it was a big deal for you to come and to sit in a space like this. That, that you struggle with some level of social anxiety and so for you to be here is a big deal, and I recognize that. And so I would just invite you to invite God to help you, to help you to, to, to grow through that, to help you with that, to manage that in spaces like this. And also, not just to help you manage it, and maybe for a lot of you that's not an issue, but to ask God, okay, God, God, who 
could you use that I could help, or who do I need to connect with that could help me? Maybe you're going through a tough time, and, and you're struggling, and you feel somewhat isolated. And so it would be a big deal for you to take a step. And so just ask God to, to help you, to give you the strength that you need to take that step, whatever it is. So invite God into the process. And I would also say, as you invite and got into the process, let's pray together for each other across our campuses. Again, we are so much better together. We can accomplish so much more together, but let's pray for one another. Pray for the other campuses, all of us together. The second thing I would say, in addition to inviting God into the process, too, would be to take a genuine interest in other people. So it can't just be about us. As we think about today, it's so easy for us to slip into, okay, what is this? How do I apply this to my life? How does this, how can I make my life better? What is in it for me? And so to think about, yeah, I need to be connected because I need help. And absolutely, we want to be here for you. But also to think about, to pray about, okay, God, who's someone that I could help? Who's someone that needs what I have to offer? Because life is, is best lived when we get not just something from, but we give to. That's the way God wired us up. So to take a genuine interest in people and seek to find ways to connect, to be a blessing to others. Dale Carnegie, who famously wrote How to Win Friends and Influence People, he said this, it does not grow old, this truth. You can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you. Take a genuine interest in other people. Third thing that I would say is, uh, as a practical step, is just to let's work together to build community here at First Church. Do your part to help us build a healthy community. It can be hard. People come, and it's hard to connect, and it's larger, and a lot of people, and whatever. So let's work together. And so uh, one of the things we can do, we tend to sit in similar places. So if you're here in the room, uh, to to get to know the people around you. If you're online, to, to chat in the chat room. That's something that you can do. But if you're here in the room, to get to know the people around you. And so if you've been here for 50 years, don't be offended if someone says, oh, are you new here and you've been here your whole life? You know, just take a deep breath, get over yourself. It's okay if someone doesn't know who you are, all right? It's a big place, a lot going on, multiple campuses, multiple venues. It's all right, okay? So, so let's cut each other some slack. Let's be people of grace. And, and so, uh, a good question to ask uh, for, as you're getting to know people, though, is, well, how long have you been here? How long have you been at First Church? And so, whether that's 50 years or five weeks, it doesn't matter. We can all ask, and we can get to know one another, encourage you to get to know one another. One of the ways that some practical things you could do, let's institute, uh, years ago I talked about this, but let's call it the 10-foot rule. So, when you're here on the campus, if you get within 10 feet of someone, that you have to speak or at least smile or acknowledge them, okay? So no more passing each other in the hall and acting like you didn't see that person, okay? And we all do that, don't we? It's okay. And if, you're, if you really got some, some intense social anxiety and that's what you need to do to cope, and that's okay. So we're going to cut everybody some slack, but for those that you can, make eye contact, good smile, how you doing, good morning. Uh, we can, and we can be real if, you, if you're not okay. You can say that to somebody because we want, it, we want it, this to be a safe place no matter what's going on. So the 10-foot rule and then the five-minute rule. So the fi first five minutes after any service, don't talk to the people that you know really well, that, that you're well-connected with, and that, that when you talk to them, it's just life-giving. There are some people, when they walk in a room, you're like, I want to go talk to them because I, I always feel better when I talk to them. There's those kind of people. And then those, those kind of people that, that suck the life out of you and you know 
you, it's just, let's just be honest, it's just us. Um, but don't be afraid to talk even to those folks because they need Jesus too. And they might need some encouragement. And so, or those people that you don't know and that, that are somewhat alone and maybe disconnected, you don't even realize what's going on and how it might make such a difference if you spoke a word, gave a word of encouragement or whatever. So, 10-foot rule, five-minute rule, super simple, super practical. If you're brand new here, it's just out in the lobby. If you're here in the room, out, you go through this door and just hang a left. Crystal and I will be there with some other staff. We'd love to have a chance to meet you. That'd be a great first step. Okay, another very practical thing. So we talked about, do, let's, let's build some community together. Let's be a part of that. The next thing would be to join a group or serve team. We just, we talked about, we talked about this a couple times today. A lot of, this is a great time of year. A lot of new classes and new things going on and men's groups and women's groups. And, and over at Stevensville, we got Alpha for if you're wanting to explore faith or take somebody that might have some questions about faith. That's a great place on Wednesday night. Uh, Sober Recovery. If you've got a habit of hanging up a hurt or somebody that you know has got that, that's a great place to go on Thursday nights. A lot of good things. There's a class that goes on on Sunday morning, multiple ones downstairs during this hour as well. So you could go to the different service and be a part of that. There's any number of things you could do encourage you to find a place or a serve team great place great way to take that next step and then finally as our worship team comes back up let me give you another practical thing to this week as you've prayed and you've asked god god who's someone that i might be able to influence or help or be a blessing to as god puts someone on your heart maybe send them a text or an email just a word of encouragement and just take it that that's god communicating with his spirit communicating to you if they you have the if they if god places them on your heart to reach out uh we're gonna again share on social media so you can share something on social media if you got a cool story that comes up you'll get brownie points by the way if you do it uh by phone if you actually call and talk to them by phone and you get some mega brownie points if you set up something and you talk to somebody face to face okay mega brownie points for that and last thing that i would say something that we all like to do and we're moving from just very generic to very specific invite someone for a meal around some food is always a great way to find connection and so invite someone maybe even today out for a meal over to your house whatever let's build some community we are better absolutely together we must work together to combat isolation what's the step that final little point what's the step commit to take a step toward community because we are better together. What's the step that God wants you to take? And as you're thinking about that, let me just be real with you. Chris and I, this summer, you as a church gave us an extended study break, uh, some time away. And over those few weeks that we were away, we had time to be in the Word together and pray together and talk together just about life and whatever. And we were going through this book together and it pointed some things out. And we just together came to this intense realization of how much we need community that it's it's life just is tough and leadership is tough and being on your own and even though you can be around a lot of people and a lot of ministry stuff going on but we all need community will you join me in pursuing that let's stand today and so father god as we pursue community to just just to do our part to destroy this bane of isolation that is our culture. Father, I pray that you'd help us to work together to find community with one another. Speak to us now. In the name of Christ, we pray.